Hello, my name's Jim White and welcome to It's Friday, your weekly guide to the best of arts, culture and entertainment available to lighten lockdown life. Don't just make this a one-off visit, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, don't forget to sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk. This week, before COVID, the biggest new threat to public health was Novichok, as recalled in a new BBC One drama, The Salisbury Poisonings. What is it? What's wrong with him? He's been poisoned. And as a perfect antidote to poison, we'll be hearing the latest smooth offering from the jazz legend Nora Jones. Maybe things will change. Plus, the great singer-songwriter Katie Tunstall tells us how one unexpected upside of the pandemic is the way it has allowed her to get ever closer to her fans. I do a rave for an hour a day on, on weekdays where me and fans just dance together. Before all that, 11 weeks of lockdown have had a profound effect on our broadcasting output. With everyone isolated at home, drama, news and current affairs have had to adapt to the changes. And on television and radio, innovation has been everywhere. This week, David Tennant and Michael Sheen joined the revolution of self-filming with the BBC drama Staged. The Welsh must have a good phrase for the end of the world. Not everything however, has been as successful as that. Have I Got News For You and Question Time have struggled with the lack of an audience, losing much of their urgency and purpose. And then there's the archers. It's a long shot, but if you had some bottles available, I'd be so very grateful. It would break my heart if I have to start throwing milk away. With me to discuss the hits and misses of the new normal are Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television expert, and the Mail's movie critic, Brian Viner. Uh, Claudia, everything from Emmerdale to Match of the Day has had to adapt to the new circumstances. Uh, what's been the standout success for you? Uh, th- there have been some real sort of hits and misses. I mean, I have to say that I, I, I have sympathy for broadcasters because they're facing real difficulties at the moment. People pay their licence fee and they don't want endless repeats. So they've, they've got to be inventive. We had actually just this week a new sort of lockdown drama started, um, staged on BBC One. It's a David Tennant, Michael Sheen thing. It was a, it's a, they're playing themselves and they're playing two actors who were due to star in a West End play, but the theatres were shut down. So they decide they're going to rehearse it via video link instead. And actually that, that worked really nicely. That There were some genuinely funny moments in that. I, I think we can listen to a little clip here. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Do you know what it is in the original Welsh? How do you mean? Before it was translated. Translated? Yeah, do you know what he originally wrote? He originally wrote, do not go gentle into that good night. In English? Yes! That's disappointing. Tachy hoch! Mm, what does that mean? Total thing disaster. Hi ho! I really like that, Claudia. Uh, and, and it helps when you have actors of their caliber. Yeah. It was like a kind of static the trip, wasn't it? It's good. And what also helps is it was only about 14 minutes long. And I, I think that's that's really key with this because obviously the, the technical quality just, just isn't there. I mean, ITV did um, isolation stories. They were they were one of the first to do it. And there was one with um, Sheridan Smith that was particularly good. So it it, it can work. 
Yeah, I think the problem with the dramas is that they're about Zoom and, and there's become certain cliches, haven't they? Every drama, uh, people are speaking over each other. Every drama, somebody's screen freezes. We're getting off of that recording this podcast, Claudia. Yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah. Uh, so, Brian, what, what's worked for you? Actually, Jim, I think... Um, I've really enjoyed Match of the Day. I mean, I, I agree with Claudia. It's been a really testing time for broadcasters and, you know, they've, they've done their very best. And actually, I think Match of the Day has worked. It was, it was through television that I fell in love with football exactly 50 years ago during the 1970 World Cup. It was the first time I'd seen colour images and it was just, it just beguiled me. And, it's, and I've loved it ever since. But I, this lockdown and the, and the Premier League's return next week has really has tested my ardour somewhat because I don't think it should be happening. Um, but what has managed to sort of keep my, keep my love of football alive during this period has been match of the day, actually. I think they've done it, they've done it really well. It's a, they've done it kind of via Zoom. Gary Lineker sort of presents it with Ian Wright. And yeah, the, the chemistry between them is great. Um, Lineker, Shearer and Wright. And I think, I think it's, it's Ian Wright who really makes it because he's so kind of, effervescent and funny and you know Alan Shearer is a bit doer isn't he but um, and Alan Lineker I'm a fan of but Ian Wright who's fast becoming a new national treasure even people who don't love football have listened to him on Desert Island Discs where he was crying about his, his teacher and everything I think he's a wonderful character and actually this Zoom match of the day brings that out There's, let's just listen to a clip here it's, um, it's, it's Gary Lineker talking about the 1990 World Cup talking about his experiences with Gaza you can hear Ian Wright laughing his fantastic laugh in the background before the semi-final he was dragged off the tennis court Gaza in the afternoon he was playing some tourists at tennis I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, but despite all that stuff, he was, he, I mean, he was, he was fantastic company. Yeah, I absolutely love uh, Match of the Day, but it is the chemistry, isn't it, Claudia? That's what works. Because it's so intimate, the Zoom it takes us right in, into people's homes, apart from anything else. Well, yeah, actually, another example of, of, um, of something that's worked really well is Emmerdale, because um, long-running ITV soap, it, you know, EastEnders has run out of episodes, but what Emma, Emmerdale have been able to get back to filming, um, socially distanced filming, and they've, they've had their first recorded in lockdown episodes that went out this week. Um, they're back on the set, and I, I think that's key, so it's not done over Zoom, so the quality is there. And each episode is, is a two-hander with two of the leading characters, and it, it's been really sort of surprising good considering it must have been sort of hastily written i think we, we have a clip here of the first one so this is um sam and lydia who are a newlywed couple we could still do the honeymoon bit here there's more to a honeymoon sam than tea time anky panky because yeah, that's what stag do's for isn't it <laughs> hey if you could go anywhere anywhere in the world where would you go pub Brian, long-running dramas have obviously had a problem with social distancing and so on. Emmerdale, Claudia reckons a success. Has everything been as good? <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't think The Archers has been, Jim. Now, I have to say I'm not a fan, but I sort of experience it vicariously through my wife, who's been listening for, for that 35 years or so, which is the funny thing about The Archers. You never meet anyone who's 
been listening for a year or three years. It's always 40 <laughs> years or 50 years. And of course, it's been going for 70 years. Um, anyway, she has a, a sort of love-hate relationship with the Archers. And, and I'm afraid she's currently in a hate phase because of the way they've been dealing with lockdown. And specifically, this sort of internal monologue device uh, where we're given what they think is a, is, is a sort of, is the unique privilege of sitting inside somebody's head but we think is a, is a kind of a unique torment and i've so i've li i've listened to that with her and oh my goodness uh, there was one by david archer who's you know one of the main characters played by an actor called tim bentink who i can tell you used to be the voice of mind the gap on the piccadilly line on the london <laughs> underground uh, <laughs> that's sub cv bro uh, actually i would rather listen to mind the gap for 10 minutes or 20 minutes whatever but then then uh, then him going on in his head to himself about you know about his wife's cooking and oh goodness me it was dreary um actually what uh, there was a um a review in the um in the financial times a critic in the financial times got it spot on she said it she felt the peculiar sensation of having taken a mild hallucinogenic hallucinogenic while also being bored to death uh, which is <laughs> <laughs> which uh, and this internal monologue thing just doesn't work. The archers hasn't got that right at all. And let's just listen to a clip of it. I couldn't talk to my dad properly till I was much older. That's just how it was in those days. Thank heavens we've moved on. Josh knows any time he wants to talk something through, I'm there for him. So why doesn't he ever take me up on it? He's the hardest of the kids to read. I suppose because we're so different. Yeah, I know what you mean, okay. bro. No, that seemed to go on for 70 years, that clip. But, uh, Claudia, what's not worked on, on TV? There's been a couple that, that, that just haven't worked. And it's really made me sort of appreciate the value of a studio audience because it's, it wasn't something I particularly considered before. But have I got news for you? It just doesn't work at all. Um, and it's a shame because they've actually got such good material at the moment with the coming scandal and, you know, Boris in hospital, Trump getting madder by the day. But um, it's, it's done via video link. And even though and it's, it, I think the problem is the split second delays in the communication. So they can't really really sort of spark off each other and and that's what have i got news for you needs and i've i've you know i've watched a few lockdown episodes and it's it's just really flat we can have a, a listen here do we not have any medical experts in britain do we have a health secretary why is a political aide making decisions about vaccines he's only there to make the prime minister look good a job which he's singularly failed to do so why do we need him anywhere so why are some people angry that he made the 260 mile journey? <laughs> I, just, I know, ask Ian, he'll tell you. <laughs> Ian. I haven't a clue. I mean, I, why are people so angry? I can't see it myself. If you can't see it, Ian, get in your car, drive the Canterbury Cathedral, that'll clear it. Yeah, I'm glad they were laughing anyway, Claudia. That, that, that was it, just, it's, it just sounds like a chat between mates on Zoom. It, it, it's not sort of good enough for TV, is it? No, exactly. And and I think uh, Question Time as well has really suffered, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it has. I mean, Fiona Bruce is sort of, you know, doing a valiant job and they, they have sort of the Pamela's in the studio sitting miles apart from each other. But um, I think it's the argy-bargy that makes Question Time such good value to watch. And, and there's no studio audience. Again, you've got people asking questions via video link, but it's flat. Yeah, I'm not sure what the, what they can do, Brian. I mean, would it be better just to keep relentless runs of old programmes? 
No, I don't think that's the answer because, not least because there's so much going on, isn't there? There's so much valid stuff to talk about, whether it's comedy-wise, have I got news for you, or, or you know, serious political stuff on question time. So they've got to, they've, you know, I mean, we're, we seem to be edging towards some kind of new normality. You know, things are getting a little bit back to, you know, to where they were, slowly but surely. So, you know, maybe they just need to hang on in there and, uh, you know, and eventually, you know, it'll be back to where it was. But they've got to, I, I don't think they can just show repeats. You know, there's an enormous amount of inventiveness and ingenuity that, you know, all these broadcasting companies and, you know, they don't seem to be quite using it uh, as they might. You know, there's a little bit of complacency setting in. So they've got to yeah, keep pushing it. I'd agree with that. The, the technology is obviously the thing they're wrestling with. I'd, I'd give a quick shout out to uh, ITV Racing, who managed to bring the restart of uh, live sport, despite the fact that none of their pundits were actually on site. They weren't allowed to go. So they had about half a dozen people around the country seemed to go off flawlessly, uh, I think after endless, endless rehearsals. Um, but Claudia, is there anything you're looking for? forward to more than anything about coming back well as, as I said I, I, I have really sort of I finally understand the, the value of a studio audience and it, this makes me really concerned about um, talk of doing Strictly in lockdown because I, I, I absolutely don't think it could possibly work with, without a studio audience um, so I, I think they're better off skipping it for a year if, if, rather than have a sort of a, um, an isolation version of it so that's it Claudia we need to get a studio audience for this podcast thanks Brian thanks Claudia <laughs> The brilliant Scottish singer-songwriter Katie Tunstall should have been in the midst of a worldwide tour right now. Instead, the Brit and Ivan Novello award-winning star, who first came to prominence in 2004 when her song Suddenly I See topped the charts on both sides of the Atlantic, is stuck in her home in Los Angeles, locked down with her newly acquired rescue dog. But that has not stopped her producing music. This week, she releases a new charity single written and recorded since the pandemic struck. Wash your hands when you can. Keep on following the plan. Don't put your fingers on your face. Keep your distance. Give a wave. And she joins me now via Zoom to tell us all about it. So, uh, Kate, uh, wash your hands. And don't forget your thumbs. That's about as timely uh, um, a release as there's been. Tell me about it. So I found actually that um, I was just not feeling inspired to work at all. I think I spend so much of my time on the road going, God, I wish I had a bit more time at home. <laughs> so actually, the lockdown for me has been this kind of unexpected hiatus of, you know, a couple of decades of really, really hard work of being away from home and finally sort of getting a minute to decompress a little bit, very unexpectedly. And I just wasn't in a headspace or a heart space to, to write songs at this time. It's, it felt, you know, it's felt quite bizarre for everyone and unsettling for everyone. But... I did think it would be, I'd basically done this collaboration video a few years ago for, for a song called Glamorpus and I called it the KT Collaboration. And we did a, a song of mine from an album called Tiger Suit where all that remained on the video was my vocal. And 
ev- fans from all over the world played every single other instrument and sent in their video. And it was literally a band made up of people from all over the world. And it sounded incredible. And I've been wanting to do another thing like that for a long time. It's a really beautiful experience of, of, of using the internet to collaborate with thousands of different people across the planet and you know never a better time than now to do that and I thought I don't want to write like a totally trite like emotional song I want to write something really fun that is going to engage kids especially because it must be so confusing for kids to try and explain to them what's going on right now but also trying to make sure that they're joining in and keeping everyone else as safe as possible and coming out of the lockdown what how what does that look like you know so this song is kind of really just a bit of a a kind of catchy earworm mantra to remember the stuff that we've got to do but it's just it's also ultimately a great opportunity to raise a bit of money for brilliant charities uh, war child and water aid it's it's really catchy. I mean, you oh, talk thank about you. it's an earworm. It comes. How on earth did you do it, though? I mean, we've heard that Zoom is actually really hard to do music across because there's that delay, isn't there? So how did yes. you? Yes. So the um, I actually just did recently do a Zoom concert, one of my my first Zoom concert, and there were six people in America and in London helping me deal with the technical side of it it's extremely complicated how to get the settings right so that that stuff works and there's still a delay unfortunately we don't have timeless internet you know duetting capabilities yet so with that song it was really fun because i literally made it completely in my laptop with no guitar no piano just a little plug-in microphone and my laptop and I use a I use a program called Logic which is by Apple and you just you get the beats and you get the sounds and I've got a tiny little kind of keyboard master that I plug into the side of my computer and so that in itself felt really cool that it was you know it was done literally on a laptop as well but it sounds like a proper you know a duet you're yeah. with grace savage aren't you the beatbox. yeah so i sent i sent my so i sent my i sent the track to grace i said grace there's this breakdown section and i think you'd be absolutely perfect for it and she wrote this amazing kind of second catchy part because wash your hands wash your hands and it's awesome that's the bit i'm singing more than anything else and then she did this great beatbox um, part on it because she's like four times UK beatbox champion. And, um, and then my friend, the freelance Hellraiser, who's another amazing musician, I sent everything to him. And then he did what's called mixed mixing. He mixed it. So he put it into his computer and worked his magic to make it sound great. But it was all literally done on our laptops. And what we'll do now is that everybody will film themselves on their phone and email us their video and we'll chop it all together and make a video of people dancing and singing along to the song from everywhere on the planet. Oh, brilliant. And this is all for charity. So when we download it, the money goes to the charities. Why yeah. did you choose those two? I've worked with Warchild a lot through the years. They're very closely tied to the music industry. They've done, I mean, I think I was first aware of them because they will often do an, a post-Brit Awards party. And they were always working really closely with labels in the music industry and recognising that musicians had this platform 
to kind of raise awareness as well as, you know, bring an audience in. And in that respect, it's hard enough being a kid. It's impossible to imagine being a kid, possibly orphaned, in a war zone, but in a war zone during a global pandemic. I mean, it's, it's too much. It's too much anyway. And then WaterAid is a great companion charity because they're going into the same areas and the and the same issues to supply what these kids need and what these families really need and so i think those two charities together can achieve an awful lot for people in the most need at this time so it's been a long enforced hiatus for you you should have been on the road i assume the summer is a big moment for the live acts I had, I think, the busiest touring year of my whole life this year. So I would, I was doing around 200 shows this year. No. Yeah, I was going to be at home for about a week, and that's not all at once. I was going to be going home for like a night here and there. But I was actually on, I was on, I was opening for Rick Astley in the UK, and then I was on a five-month tour opening for um, Hall & Oates with Squeeze all across America. And then I had a tour in Hawaii, I had a tour, you know, on the East Coast and all of it just has been postponed. But, you know, if it was just me, uh, it would, I'd be feeling sorer, but I'm in, a, I'm in a lucky position compared to a lot of people. I, I think so much about people who've started businesses from scratch and spent their whole life doing that and it's just gone. And, you know, people who were financially struggling anyway. And so, you know, I everybody's hurting um, and all the shows really just get will get but so in terms of shows we're hoping that 2021 is basically going to be what was happening this year fingers crossed there's going to be a lot of people on the road in 2021 there's going to be a lot of people i think as well wanting to go out and have a beer and a dance with their friends and so i think i hope that you know whatever it looks like maybe it will it will look a little bit different than it was going to but I think there will be such joy and energy to getting together and having a live music experience again. I think it will be very, it'll be very moving once the shows get going again. We'll really appreciate it, all of us, the players and the and the and the people buying tickets. I've no idea when it's going to be, uh, Katie, but um, I think there's a lot of people longing to see you again on stage. But I suspect. Their longing is nothing compared to yours. I suspect you're the person who most wants to get back out there. I mean, I do. I, I, but I have had this kind of quite revelatory experience in lockdown where because I've had all my energy to myself, because I'm at home, I've been doing tons of stuff online. I've been doing, uh, day, after straight after this, I'm going to do my Katie rave. So inst on Instagram, I, I do a rave for an hour a day on, on weekdays where me and fans just dance together to songs. And I've done Q and A's and I've taken part in other things. And, and weirdly, my connectivity to fans actually feels stronger during this time because when I'm on the road I'm only really communicating with the with whoever's at the show that day um, and then traveling and kind of busy the rest of the day so it's been a bit of a revelation and I've realized that I can do a lot and connect a lot and communicate a lot um, from my own space which is really exciting it's been great talking to you and um, where can we get wash your hands just on everywhere on but what I would say is, if you can, if you've got a 
spare a few quid please download it please buy it and download it because that's how streaming won't give the charity any money so if you can download the song that's how you donate to amazing charities war child uk and water aid and it's so appreciated thank you so much Cote, and i'll be singing it when i wash my hands next yeah <laughs> and the other thing that's so cool which we didn't even realize water aid said the chorus is 20 seconds long, which is perfect for washing your hands. Perfect. Now it's time for Hits and Misses, where the Daily Mail's writers assess the new releases and tell us what we ought to be building a statue to honour and what should be toppled from its plinth immediately. First up, the Daily Mail's film man, Brian Viner. Brian, there have been ups and downs uh, during lockdown of uh, film releases. Is this a good week or a bad week? It's a, it's a pretty pretty good week, pretty interesting week actually. Some some big films have been released onto streaming platforms and so on this week. And um, The King of Staten Island is a Judd Apatow film. And if listeners aren't familiar with Judd Apatow, he's he's a sort of one man behemoth of Hollywood comedy. He's been responsible either as producer or director or writer for a lot of the big comedy hits of the last ten, fifteen, twenty years. Bridesmaids, the Anchorman films. Uh, 40-year-old virgin, Trainwreck was another. So The King of Staten Island is is one of the relatively few that he's actually directed. And it stars a guy called Pete Davidson, who, again, is not probably all that familiar to a, a UK audience, but he's a big star of Saturday Night Live, the, uh, the NBC kind of institution on television over there. And he plays a character who is not on the surface remotely likable. He's, a, he's um, 24 years old. He has ADHD. He is unhealthily obsessed with his father, who, who was a firefighter who died in the line of duty when he was seven. Uh, and he's, he's a real deadbeat, and he hangs around with his mates all day, smoking pot and not really doing anything. He has this ambition to open a tattoo parlor, crossed with a restaurant, which is obviously a non-starter. Um, so he's a bit of a loser, to say the least. Um, but there's something sort of slightly vulnerable and likable about him. And the, the crucial point is that this reflects almost exactly this guy Pete Davidson's real life. He, he too has attention deficit disorder. His firefighter father dies on 9-11 in the Twin Towers. It's a very, very personal story. And he, but he's a comedian, and he brings it to life comically and i'll tell you a bit more about it in a second but let's just listen to a clip i like your tattoos what are those numbers on your arm oh that's uh the date my dad died he was a fireman died in a fire 17 years ago oh my god i'm so sorry don't be it's fine knock knock who's there not your dad <laughs> it's often said you can't be too soon but this is a comedy about 9-11 that that's one of the first isn't it i think well it's not a it's not a comedy about 9-11 because it, it was it was uh, in real life that his his father died ah. in the night and they've changed that in the film maybe for that exact reason that they they think you can't make a comedy about 9-11 and so he just in the in the movie he just has died in a hotel fire uh, attending that so um but really the story it's, it's not so much about that it's, it's really the story about how this guy who, as I say, is a complete loser, but how he very slowly emerges through the fog of his own kind of problems. Uh, his, his, his mother is played by Marisa Tomei, who's a, who's a wonderful actress. His sister, his younger sister, is played by Maud Apatow, who is the director's daughter. The real standout performer for me is Belle Powley, who's an English actress who plays his girlfriend. She's completely wonderful. But the story 
it just it's kind of episodic but it it begins to take the kind of linear shape if you like when his mum starts seeing the first guy that she's seen uh since the dad died years years earlier uh starts dating and scott our char- our main character takes an instant dislike to this fellow for reasons that will become evident when you see the movie. And so he starts devoting his time to trying to split them up, his mum and this guy. Uh, it's very funny in many ways, and they eventually reach an accommodation. It's long. It goes on for it's over, well over two hours. It's too long, I think. But it has plenty of laughs in it. It's kind of sweet, actually, and um, it's, it's very well acted, and I recommend it, and I would definitely call it one of this week's hits. <laughs> And what else, Brian? What what else have you seen? Well, I've just said I've just said that um, that Judd Apatow film is long. An even longer film is Spike Lee's new movie, which is out on Netflix called Da Five Bloods, and this goes on for over two and a half hours. It is, in my opinion, way too long. Um, what it is is extremely timely. Um, Spike Lee often makes films about the African American experience and the injustices that African-Americans face, and uh, that's what this is all about. And, of course, it couldn't be more timely in terms of the, the Black Lives Matter movement and the death of George Floyd and so on. It starts with images of Muhammad Ali talking about the uh, the Vietnam draft and why he refused it back in the, in the 60s. And it ends with Martin Luther King giving a speech, and it's peppered throughout with images of... Uh, African-Americans, heroic African-Americans. So Spike Lee brings a real agenda to it. But the story, there is a story, and it's quite a strong story. It's about these four veterans, all black guys, African-Americans, returning to Vietnam years after they fought there, and they're trying to find some gold that they buried years earlier, some CIA gold that was on a plane with them. The plane crashed, and they had to bury it. And this is their reason for going back it's all these gold bars they're trying to bury it but at the same time they're also trying to find the remains of their fallen commander uh, played in flashback by chadwick boseman who's uh, black panther fame who's, who's who's terrific so that's the story let, let, let's listen to a clip of it black gi is it fair to serve more than the white americans that sent you here nothing is more confused and to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. Fascinating subject matter, Brian. Does it yeah, work? Yeah, well, so there you've got a, some a North Vietnam propaganda person um, trying, trying to turn the African-American soldiers against their own commanders and their own government. For me, I mean, a lot of people will, will like this film. As I say, it's certainly very relevant at the moment. But for me, Spike Lee's kind of agenda, which is fueled by anger, gets in the way of his storytelling. And I just think you begin to not believe in the story as these guys go back and sort of almost the, the Vietnam War and the, the, the situation of the Vietnam War is almost recreated in a modern day kind of environment and for me that doesn't really work also as i say it goes on for for so long it almost unfolds in real time you begin to think uh and so i i kind of lost patience with it so i'm afraid i'm going to have to call it a miss now i'm joined by the male's music critic adrian thrills what's going to get us dancing around our kitchens this week 
Well, I don't know if we'll be dancing to these records, but we'll certainly be listening to them. The uh, the first one I've got is this, the new album from Nora Jones, who, of course, when she released her debut album, Come Away With Me, in, in 2002, she kind of went from naught to 60 in the space of a year, and she, she kind of dominated the Grammys the following year. She won eight Grammys, I think, for that album, which is just one shy of the all-time record. And uh, she said at the time she felt she'd turned up to someone else's birthday party and eaten all the cake. But she's since branched out. I mean, that was a very nice, mellow jazz record. Uh, she's since branched out and she's made she's made rock records and she's worked with, with dance producers. And um, she returned to jazz four years ago with her last album, Daybreaks, was a, a kind of classic straight, no chaser, down the line jazz record. But she's branched out again. She's got another album out um, today called Pick Me Up Off The Floor. And it's certainly got quite a few of those mellow jazz out influences. But there's a lot of there's a lot of nice soul songs on it. There's a touch of country, and it's a very melancholy record. But she has this habit of even her most downbeat songs in the middle. She'll kind of introduce a really kind of bright, sly, melodic bit of piano that uh, that kind of somehow lifts the mood. So even her even her melancholy songs they have a kind of a brightness that um, stops the whole thing from becoming too maudlin and um she's also worked with uh, jeff tweedy who's the singer from the chicago country rock band wilco and there's a couple of songs towards the end of the album there's one called heaven above which is a lovely ballad and there's another one that i think we're going to hear now called i'm alive just sit and wait don't move just hesitate you can hope and pray you can moan, maybe things will change. Country meets jazz, Adrian. It's an unexpected collaboration. Does it work for you? Absolutely. I think she's just got one of those voices, a voice that could melt snow. I just find her, her singing totally irresistible. And uh, I think for Nora Jones, that song actually, it's, um, it's about the closest she'll ever get to a protest song. It's got a very, but still, you know, a very gentle protest song. And um, it's, it's still very up beat and um i just i just really like her singing and i think she's developed into a really good songwriter and and for me definitely um thumbs up totally agree with you on that one uh, adrian Uh, and and what else have you got for us well, another record that I don't think we're going to be dancing around the uh, the living room or the kitchen to is the it's the new album from the Irish band, an Irish quartet called Codaline. Um, obviously, there's we've, there's another Irish quartet um, by the name of U2, of course, who've been like become one of the biggest bands in the world over the last 30, 40 years. And Codaline, a much younger group, hoping to follow in their footsteps. Although if there was any musical similarities, I'd say it's far more with Coldplay than U2. They started out about 10 years ago and they very humbly described themselves as four lads in a band. And they made a, a debut album in, in 2013. They've since kind of added a few more guitars to the mix. They went for a very glossy LA sound on their last album, but now they've gone back to those basics. And it's a very, it's a very self-contained record. They made it themselves in Dublin. They produced it themselves and they did wonder about whether or not they should release it in the current climate, but they, I think, wisely decided they should go ahead i think if we listen to the song that we're going to hear 
which I think is called Wherever You Are, you can certainly see uh, a hint of Coldplay in there. You're with me, my future's there. We get carried away in emotion. We get lost in each other's eyes. And we forget what we regret as we cast our fears aside. Codaline agent, it sounds like something you might buy if you've got a particularly nagging bronchial cough. It um, does. I mean, is it a cure for lockdown blues? Um, well, I, I do actually quite like it. I do think it, it's derivative, and you can certainly hear they wear their influences very much on their sleeve. But they write these very catchy songs, those kind of songs that reminds me of something Chris Martin said actually. He said sometimes when he's songwriting, he imagines what a Glastonbury crowd would be like singing a song back to him. And likewise with Codeline, these are songs that are kind of tailor-made for big crowds singing. And of course, we don't have any of that at the moment, so we're just left with the, the record. So maybe we can just uh, sing along with our nearest and dearest in the kitchen on, on Friday evening. But, uh, but I, I do like it. Um, and I'd like to see them expand the, the palette slightly in future. But I, I, I do think they're, they're, they're very good songwriters. So hit or miss for you, Adrian? I'm going for a hit on this one as well. And finally, Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television writer. Claudia, last week we were talking about the drama based around the Windrush scandal, and this week another drama about very recent history. Yeah, we're being spoiled at the moment. Another new drama starting on Sunday on BBC One, uh, The Salisbury Poisonings. I mean, just like, you know how nobody had heard the word furlough until a couple of months ago. Nobody had heard the word Novichok until March 2018. That's when a former Russian agent, Sergei Skripal, and his daughter Yulia were attacked with a deadly nerve agent, Novichok. Um, and this is the telling of the investigation behind the story that was just, I mean, it was so jaw-dropping. It was like something out of a Cold War film. There's a, there's a really great cast here, in particular Anne-Marie Duff and Rafe Spall. Anne-Marie plays Tracy Duskovich, who was the head of um, Wiltshire Public Health, and she had the, the terrible job of trying to keep the public safe. And Rafe Spall plays Detective Sergeant Nick Bailey. He was the first on the scene when Sergey and Julia were found paralysed on a bench in the city centre in Salisbury. Um, and he, um, he ended up becoming very seriously ill due to his contact with the victims. And, and we have a little clip here. Poisoned. This is uh, highly sensitive information. Uh, the same toxin was used to attack the Russian couple on Sunday. It's a nerve agent. Mrs. Bailey, listen to me. I know what this substance is now. I know what it's doing to his body. I have a plan to help him. Okay. Because it's recent history, uh, though, Claudia, don't we know what happened? <laughs> Well, actually, no, that's, I, I was glued to the news story at the time, but I learned an awful lot more just from the first episode. Um, it's really good because the, the producers have gone to great lengths to ensure accuracy. So they worked alongside the people they're portraying and the people involved in the real story. And there's a real sort of terrific sense of drama and tension that builds. Um, I mean, when they first identified Novichok, um, uh, they had no idea how how powerful it was and it was just an absolute fluke that the Skrupples both survived because they were assumed to be drug addicts in the city centre who had overdosed on heroin and just completely coincidentally the paramedics gave them a drug that they give to people who OD'd on heroin and that actually worked to counteract the effects of Novichok because they, they, they should have died. It's such a, a, a deadly nerve agent and it was I found it absolutely sort of fascinating, really compelling. 
And does it take the story on? Because I've often wondered what, what the Skripals are doing now. I mean, does it take the story beyond the initial poisoning? Well, yes, it does because you, you you meet the sort of like the real people behind the story. Obviously, there's the you know there's the the um, the intelligence agency there and the police are there and everything, but also the people who were who were contaminated just through contact with them because they were unfortunate enough to eat in the same pizza restaurant with them or or feed the ducks on the same bridge where they fed them. So you meet those people as well and find out how it impacted their lives. And for you, a hit or a miss, Claudia. Well, actually, and extra points for this because it's told over three consecutive nights, which I, I find is really good, especially now in lockdown. So you haven't got to wait a week for the next episode. <laughs> um, so extra points for that. And yes, this is, this is a hit. What other offerings have you got this week? Well, also, on, yeah, on Sunday night, um, there's a documentary on Channel 4, The Queen and the Coup. In February 1953, um, Queen Elizabeth was a year into her reign, and, and apparently she was about to be deployed as a secret weapon in the UK and America's plan to overthrow the government of Iran. I mean, that sounds really sort of thrilling and exciting, doesn't it? But um, the problem is that's not actually true. Um, <laughs> in, in 1953, Iran had a democratically elected uh, Prime Minister Mohammad Mossadegh and, and he was this really sort of forward-thinking reformer and his plans included wanting to nationalise the oil industry but that was bad news for the UK who owned a huge stake in Persian oil so he needed to be stopped so MI6 and the CIA needed the ruling Shah on side so that they could overthrow the Prime Minister and we have a little clip here. Top secret from London to US Secretary of State Foreign Office this afternoon informed us of receipt message from Eden from Queen Elizabeth expressing concern at latest developments, Ari Shah, and strong hope we can find some means of dissuading him from leaving the country. There's always been dirty politics, uh, all sorts of kind of intrusions into other people's affairs by the CIA and MI6. But why was the Queen involved? And what did well, they get to do? Well, that's the problem. She, uh, as exciting as the title, The Queen and the Coup sounds, um, all it relates to is a couple of letters um, that were sent to the Shah where he was led to believe that they were from the Queen, encouraging him to stay in place in Iran and not to flee. And of course, because he thought it was from the Queen, he agreed. Um, but she had no idea that she was being used in this way. So they really weren't from the Queen at all. Um, two historians, Professors Rory Cormack and Richard Aldrich, um, they dig through the archives in the UK and also in Washington and they find lots of sort of relevant declassified paperwork the first sort of 10 minutes are actually really quite interesting and the last 10 minutes are quite interesting but there's 50 or so minutes in between <laughs> that I, I just found really quite dull just lots and lots of pouring over 70 year old documents um, for what, what's really not that exciting a story I thought for a moment when you talked about this that we were going to find out that, you know, that bit in the London 2012 Olympics where she meets James Bond and leaps out of a helicopter was actually... That's right. That, you know, well, that would have made her yeah, very, very watchable. But no, I mean, she, her name was just used in vain in a couple of telegrams. Um, and of course, you know, the coup happened and the Shah helped us out. And then 26 years later, when he was overthrown and needed refuge, we didn't take him in. Um, oh, uh, so... Um, new story to you but it doesn't sound as though you're that convinced it was worth the telling no i you know i, I was looking forward to it because I, I thought it sounded like a sort of a real thrilling 
tale of espionage and it's um, unfortunately it's not so I'm, I'm gonna say that this is a myth well now you know what should be hoisted up in trafalgar square and what should be bundled unceremoniously into bristol harbour my thanks to brian claudia and adrian <laughs> Now we head across the Atlantic to discover what Jackie Stephen, the male's own 24-hour party person, has been up to in her apartment block overlooking the Hudson. Jackie, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement has been huge across the world, really. What, what have been the repercussions in America? Are the demonstrations still going on? What, what's happening? In New York, there are peaceful demonstrations going on. There's been a bit of looting. My local chemist was uh, raided a couple of nights ago and the $30,000 worth of drugs were taken. But for the most part, it stays very peaceful here. The interesting thing is the impact it's now having on television. Television is already very weird anyway because a lot of the shows are now having to rely on Zoom uh, recordings because the, the episodes have dried up. So it's sort of already strange. And then we've had all of the demonstrations, and now that's impacting on television in a different way. For example, Netflix are now doing their series Black Lives Matter, in which they're going to show things that really show black Americans in a different light, uh, or rather emphasize the lives of black Americans to try and show the world what everything's really about. So they're showing uh, Orange is the New Black, Dear White People, and Barry Jenkins' Moonlight, which of course won the Oscar in 2017. And it's very interesting that people now who've made comments in the past about black population and said things in a very negative way, they're being sacked left, right, and center. Uh, this week saw four people being sacked from Vanderpump Rules for comments and tweets that they've made in the past. Uh, MTV has sacked a couple of its young stars as well. And I think it's a good thing. These are youngsters who, to be honest, I think an entitled generation who think it's all right to say anything that they want to say. And Stacey Schroeder on Vanderpump Rules, she's been sacked for comments she actually made about Moonlight. Now, if you remember, Moonlight was the movie that won 2017 when the Oscars had announced that La La Land had won and there was an entire white cast on stage and then it was a mistake and it turned out that Moonlight had won. So the entire white cast on stage was replaced by the entire black cast. <laughs> it was the most surreal moment. And Stacey Schroeder said on her podcast that really she'd had enough and why was everything about black America and you know enough's enough and she said I'll probably get into trouble for saying it well yes because now that's res been resurrected and she's had the sack now she recently became engaged on the show and what all of them do on the show is rely on Vanderpump rules to pay for their massive weddings well that's not going to happen now and <laughs> she and one of the other cast members Kirsten Dow They've just bought million-dollar houses, million-dollar-plus houses. Stati's lost everything. All her sponsors have gone. What they've discovered is that careless talk costs jobs. What, one of the things that, that's happened here is there's been a bit of sort of archive removal uh, programs that had, for instance, blackface on them. Uh, even Gone with the Wind has gone from the archive. Is, is that happening as well with, in, in the States? Yes, there's been a bit of a fuss over Gone with the Wind going and people saying, well, let's just get rid of Game of Thrones as well. Let's get rid of Friends. You know, I think it's very difficult to go back to the archives and take out every single black face. I saw that it was happening in Britain with Anton Deck and with Little Britain. Over here, 
less so, I think because, well, only really Jimmy Fallon is the one who has apologized for putting on a black face, but he was impersonating someone. And I think it's a different thing going to a party with a black face and doing an impression. And in actual fact, Jamie Foxx stood up for Jimmy Fallon and said, you know, it's fine. It's a comedy show. He was doing an impression. But these are very, very sensitive times. You can't do or say anything that even hints at criticism of any black person at all. But the other interesting thing I find is that you don't find the very famous names like Oprah Winfrey coming out and speaking up for the Black Lives Matter movement. Why? Because she's part of the whole white media establishment that pays her salary. So all of these big, big wigs are really shutting up about it. That is really interesting. Anything beyond that that's going on that's caught your eye? Well, I'm really looking forward to HBO's remake of Perry Mason. Uh, it's <laughs> Reese, my, fe- my fellow Welshman. And uh, he did a Zoom interview for, the, I think, The Hollywood Reporter this week. And apparently he's staying in the Catskill Mountains with his uh, family. And uh, it was a very difficult interview because the reception isn't great there. But he initially didn't want to take the role on. And he was persuaded to do so. And Matthew is a very, very intense actor, but a very funny one as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. That starts on June the 20th. 21st on HBO. The Welsh Perry Mason. We'll, we'll <laughs> raise a glass for that one, Jackie, between the two of us. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, good to see you. And that's it from It's Friday. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with us directly, we're on It's Friday at mailplus.co.uk. Until next week, I'm Jim White. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.